0: Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Today, uh, we are in for a treat. We are finishing our series called Pray, in which all the people at Liquid Church have been praying these big prayers, these bold Prayers of God, and we've seen some incredible things, but people have had some really cool results out of holding before God one of those big kingdom-breaking prayers where he has to show up. And today for part three, I want to invite a special friend of mine. His name's Pastor Brian McMillan. He serves as the lead pastor of Center Point Church on Long Island, Massapequa. Some of you didn't even know there are Christians in Long Island, uh, but there are. And Brian is an incredible leader, young, energetic guy. Uh, he actually started Centerpoint Church with five people in his parents' basement, uh, and it's grown to about a thousand people. They're going to be launching their second campus this October, and so their team was here a couple of weeks ago, just learning how we do multi-site. So we consider them brother, sister, and the faith, kind of a partner in ministry as we reach the tri-state area for Jesus Christ. So I asked Brian to come share a little bit. He's going to conclude our series called Praise. So New Brunswick, Nutley, Mountainside, would you give a big liquid welcome to Pastor Brian McMillan? Brian, thank you so much for coming, buddy. Grateful for you and for the Long Islanders. Thanks, buddy. No problem. Well, it only cost me $75
1: in tolls to get here, so it was awesome to do that. Um, I, I really am uh, just so glad to be able to be here at Liquid Church. Uh, there's a couple of churches that I've been looking forward to the opportunity to teach there, just waiting for the invite secretly, like dropping hints now and then, like, hey, are you going on vacation anytime soon? You're going to be gone. Uh, and Liquid Church is absolutely one of those churches on my bucket list. Uh, and there's a couple reasons for that. First and foremost, um, I just love what God is doing in this church. I've learned so much through this ministry and connecting with Tim and the leaders here. And you guys, even though you may not know it, have helped Centerpoint in so many ways and even in very, very practical ways. Um, there was a while back, there was this little storm that came through called Sandy. you remember that thing? Yeah, well, that wrecked our building. We were flooded. We were out of our church. We actually never had another service in our, own, our old building. Um, and one of the very first phone calls I got from a pastor was Tim saying, hey, how are you holding up? What's going on? How can we help you? How can we support you? Uh, and so I can't tell you how much Liquid Church has meant to me personally as well as to my church center point. The second reason I'm so glad to be here is is Liquid Church is about New Jersey. I, I mean, you guys have more campuses. You are spreading around this area like a virus, but in a good way, right? Like, you're everywhere. And I love New Jersey because my roots are based in New Jersey, My great-grandparents came from Sicily, and they moved to Patterson, New Jersey on Paxton Street. You can still hear my great-grandmother's Italian accent as she talks about Paxton Street. Uh, They had their son, my grandpa Joe, who then had my mom, Diane. And I, too, was born in Patterson, so I am fourth-generation Patterson, New Jersey. Anyone from Patterson in the house out there? I've met so many people from Patterson over the last uh, uh, couple hours. Um, But I am so glad to be here to wrap up the series... And the last couple weeks, you've been doing this this big picture idea that's simply pray, right, about prayer. And two weeks ago, Pastor Tim shared a little bit out of Ephesians chapter three, and he was teaching on the power of prayer, Uh, the idea that this is the real deal, this is significant, that we don't have to simply pray these, these obvious prayers, these prayers that'll probably happen like, God, you know, help me to breathe today right? You know, you're probably, God willing, going to be able to breathe through the whole day. And as he went through uh, Ephesus chapter 3, he explained this pattern that we see in the New Testament. And the Apostle Paul here goes into this, I pray blank, so that blank right? I'm going to pray this prayer so that this can be the outcome. And he led us through that. And as a result, there are thousands of people at Liquid Church that filled out one of these prayer cards and say, this is a big prayer. This is a challenging prayer for me. This is a stepping out of faith prayer for me. And I'm going to give this over to God because it's such a big deal. And that's what we have here and all throughout the campuses. Now, last week, Pastor Kyler, He taught on praying it forward, right? Praying for people to come to faith in Jesus. And he really shared these three ideas, uh, to share, to invite, and to live. To share, to invite, and to live. Now, Today, what I want to do, as we're wrapping this time up, is I want to kind of combine these two messages and share a little bit about my heart and what God has taught me about prayer over the years. And what I want us to understand is that there is an amazing power of prayer when not just the individual, but the entire church is in sync with God. And uh, we all know what it is to be in sync with God, or to be in sync, I should say. Everyone in this room probably has a device similar to this. Right? I always felt like we should have one of these moments right now where we all start singing songs right? just waving. Uh, no, no lighters and concerts anymore. It's just, just a phone. Anyone out there have a beeper out of curiosity? Anyone still have one of those? Good, because you're probably a drug dealer. I learned that in high school. <laughs> but we all have our devices, right? And we are dependent on our devices. I, I mean, these things control our life. Every part of what we do, all of our information is on our phones and on our tablets and our computers but they can't accomplish what they're made to do if they're not syncing up with something else. Whether it's your phone to your computer or all your devices to the cloud, I mean, that's how they were designed, to sync in such a way that information is being passed from one device to another. And if they don't communicate this way, they're, they're really not of any use. I mean, when your iPhone breaks down or your Android phone no longer works, I mean, you throw it out, you get rid of it. And here's the thing, in my life, my wife and I, our entire life is synced together. We sync everything. So we have one account. My wife's a marriage and family therapist. I'm a pastor. We have a perfect marriage, by the way. <laughs> Amazing. We only fight like once a week. But we, uh, we have our entire lives connected. And so I always know where she is. She always knows where I am. Sometimes she stalks me on my phone, which is creepy. And that's an issue we'll work out at, at home in marriage therapy that I'm giving to her. But our entire life is, is joined together because if it wasn't, if they weren't synced, I wouldn't know when I have to pick up Brittany from soccer practice or I wouldn't know that we have a date night that I forgot about later that night and I have to cancel a prayer meeting. You know? so, so we need to have our lives in sync for it to work. And this is the idea of prayer. We use it to get in sync with God, to have this connection And one of the books that's most influenced me in my life, my understanding of being in prayer, is from Richard Foster. It's an older book. It's over 30 years old called Celebration of Discipline. And it's all about spiritual formation. It's a fantastic book I would recommend you reading. And here's something that he says. He says, prayer catapults us onto the frontier of the spiritual life. Of all the spiritual disciplines, Prayer is the most central because it ushers us into perpetual communion with the Father. Meditation introduces us to the inner life. Fasting is an accompanying means. Study transforms our minds. But it is the discipline of prayer that brings us into the deepest and highest work of the human spirit. Real prayer is life-creating and life-changing. I always try to mention one quote in every message I give because... This is something so much more articulate and smarter than I could ever say. And here he tells us that perpetual communion with the Father, it's it's real prayer, it's life creating and life changing. And when we are in sync with God, he becomes life in us. Friends, this idea of relationship, this idea of being able to commune with him, this is the highest purpose of our existence. It's not being married, it's not having kids, it's not our career. The very reason in which we were made by God in the first place was to have relationship with him, to know him, to be able to bring a request to him, to have a relationship in a true sense with the Alpha and the Omega, the, the great I am, the creator of all things. That's why we were made. But for this to happen... For us to be able to communicate with God, something needs to happen on our end first. Because we as people, all of us, we are actually spiritually broken. We have a sinking problem with God. On our own, we can't do it. The Wi-Fi is messed up. The cable is cut. There's just something that's not allowing us in our creative way to connect with him. And what the Bible tells us is that this thing that's separating us from God is called sin. Now, if you're new to liquid, right, you're here for the first time, you're like, I knew it! I knew it was going to be a matter of time until the pastor was going to point out and talk about the, the sinners, you know, grab the white hanky and start dabbing the forehead as you sweat and get all fired up. But I want you to know that you're, you're, you're not going to hear it in that way today. Because when we talk about sin, we are in no way pointing fingers at people in the church or people outside of the church. We are talking collective, that every human being has a sin problem. I absolutely do. I sinned so many times on my way here in traffic going over the GWB yesterday, I can't even get to tell you. I have a sin problem. You have a sin problem. And even if I talk to someone who has no belief in God, all right, they're just a complete atheist, just don't believe that there's, there's anything out there, I can still easily get that person to admit that they deal with evil. May call it something different. They may not use the term sin, but, but if we just start looking at our life and the way that we've hurt people and the way that we've been selfish and the way that we've lied and some of the thoughts that pop into our head at times, everyone could admit that there's a problem with evil within humanity. The Bible tells us that that problem is called sin. And that sin is there and it breaks our communication with God. And without this this problem getting fixed, there's going to be a major issue within us. The worst part about sin is that as it separates us from God, that it creates this huge divide. Yet God loves us so much that he wants us to communicate with him. He wants us to be fixed. He wants us to be able to to function in the way that he has made us to function. So we needed a way for this to happen, to fix our sin problem. And that's why God sent Jesus to the earth 2,000 years ago. That's why Jesus went upon a cross and paid the price for all the things that we've done wrong. So when we ask for forgiveness, the sin issue is wiped away, and now we can communicate with him. The only reason I mention this is because I often think that as Christians, as the church, that we take prayer for granted, that we take prayer for granted. We don't realize just how good we have it, this ability to commune with the Almighty. Let me explain it this way. If I had a family member right now living in Europe, let's say England, it would be no problem for me to be in touch with them, would it? I mean, we just live in, in such a, a connected day and age. I can grab my phone and I could call that person instantly and, and in seconds we could be talking. I could send a text. I can go on Facebook and, and read about their life. I mean, you can even Skype with someone on the other side of the world and you can share life and experience as a birthday party, someone giving birth, which, as I say, I don't know why you would ever want to Skype and watch someone give birth, but it came out of my mouth and there it is. <laughs> my point is, this is there, Right? The tool for communication is at our grasp. But that certainly wasn't always the case. See, there's this little issue between America and Europe called the Atlantic Ocean. Have you ever heard of it? (laughs) Pastor Tim was just there at Ocean City, New Jersey. I saw some Facebook photos he had where he's catching seagulls. That dude's a little nuts. Do you know that? (laughs) Just a little off, but that's why I love him. And so we have this thing called the Atlantic Ocean. And the only way before modern technology to be able to, to pass information from America to Europe was for someone to get out their quill, right, dip it in a little ink, and write a letter. And that letter then has to be hand-delivered to someone who's going to go on a boat, and they're going to then bring that letter across the Atlantic to England, to Europe, where there, it still has to be delivered by hand to the person that wants to receive it. By the time they get the letter, would you like to come to my house this Friday? It's already too late. You're right. no. Then they send it back. (laughs) It has to go through the whole process. And depending on the time of year, the storms, the current, and everything else, it could take over a month for a letter to go from one place to the other and the response to come through. That is a long time. There's a communication breakdown. Well, that was until 1858. 1858 changed everything for the two continents because that was the year that the transatlantic telegraph cable was created. I have no idea how they engineered this to get it from one end to the other and how they spliced it along the way. But this cable went from America to Europe. And now what used to take a month to be able to articulate, to be able to communicate back and forth would only take minutes. And it changed America to change the relationship between America and Europe, because that's what communication always does. It changes everything. When you're able to communicate, suddenly possibilities open up that never used to exist. And because of Jesus, because of what he has done on the cross, we as humanity no longer are plagued by the problem of sin. We now have a direct line to God. We can be in constant sync with him. We can work the way we were created to work. And once we own this, as Christians, as those who are followers of Christ, once we own this, once we no longer take prayer for granted, it's no longer just that thing that we hear about sometimes in church, but it's part of our life, it changes you forever. Amen? It changes you forever. I want to take the rest of our time to look at a very unique passage that, um, in the Old Testament, that I believe is extremely challenging but helps us to grasp this idea of the church being in sync with God. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. And a quick background on where Israel is right now, if you're not too familiar with Exodus. There was this period of time, a long period of time, where they became a nation, but they were in slavery under Egypt. Moses said, let my people go. You've been there. You know that, right? Finally, the Pharaoh let the Israelites go. And now this is the transition as they're now uh, going from slaves to nomads on their way to the promised land that that all this is unfolding. And now they're starting to learn how to trust and depend on God in the process. And they're coming up to one of these big challenges where they have to depend on God in Exodus chapter 17. And this is what it says, starting in verse 8. It says, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow, I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. This was Moses' big plan, to have his staff. Now, granted, this was a pretty special staff. I mean, a part of the Red Sea, for goodness sakes, right? This, this staff had seen some pretty cool things at this point. It wasn't just a regular birch Tree from outside. But his plan was to get that staff and to go to the top of the hill and to hold it up. Now, I'm not a military expert. I will not pretend to be. But when I think of defeating an enemy in battle, the last thought I might have outside of having a pie eating contest to win it would be to hold a staff up in the air saying, Hey, as long as the staff's in the air, we're going to win. Could you imagine if President Obama? Got on the news tomorrow and said, we have a new strategy for the issues in the Middle East to get rid of of ISIS. I'm going to go on the top of a hill in the Middle East, and I'm going to hold up a staff. Fox News would have a field day with that, don't you think? (laughs) And that's what we have here. So let's look what happens. Verse 10. It says, so Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hand, uh, sorry, held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Talk about being in sync with God. And every time I say in sync, now all I have playing in my head is bye, bye, bye. Anyone else? Like I'm trying to get holy and I have JT doing this in my mind the whole time. But we have this moment where we have Moses up on that hill and he is so in tune with God. And I wonder if he's up there, he's like, God, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Hey, get a little tinfoil on the end of this, right? We're just, only older people would get the tinfoil, right? Like, hey, help me out here. And we don't know exactly why Moses thought this was a good idea, raising his hands with a staff. But we do know, as the text lets us see, is that when his hands were raised, the Israelite army had the power of God. And whenever his hands were lowered, the power was lost. Friends, I believe that there is a parallel to this story in our lives here today. When we are in sync with God, we can overcome the struggles in our life. We start to think more like God, we act more like God, we care more like God, we love more like God. His power and his wisdom fills us as we are in sync with him. But when we take our eyes off of him, when we get so busy and so distracted by everything that is going on in our life and we start to hold back in our prayers or there's just a quick prayer before we eat, we start to then lose the struggles and the obstacles that are before us. Now, even though Moses isn't praying in the most conventional way, I'm not going to have this goofy teaching like, hey, from now on, if you really want to hear God, you need to grab a staff and hold in. Yeah, That's what Liquid Church teaches. <laughs> All right? I'm not saying you have to do anything goofy like that. But I want you to know that as I see this, it becomes so clear. That is, we are faithful with God and we are coming before him that God is going to move through his people. He speaks to us and he gives us that strength to move forward. And as we are faithful, God answers. I believe there's a lot we can learn from this story. So I want to challenge you here at Liquid with three ideas that God has challenged me through this text and other experiences um, that, that I hope will encourage you today. And Here's the first thing I want you to know. We all have a part to play in the spiritual victory that God wants to do through the local church. We all have a part to play in the spiritual victory that God wants to do through the local church. When we read this story, of course we're drawn to Moses. I mean, you know how, how hard it is to just keep your hands in the air if you're not holding anything, right? Let alone if you're holding a stick for an entire day. And I saw Moses' Instagram recently. The dude was old. I mean, this would not have been easy for a young fit guy, Right? And so we were drawn to this reality of Aaron and her helping him out, but we often forget that there is still an entire army led by Joshua that's down in the battlefield up against great odds doing their part to still win the battle. Every soldier still has a part to play. Now, I want to just take a moment real quick, and this will make sense in a moment. I want to take a moment to brag on your church. I just want to take a moment to brag on Liquid. One of the things I love most about Liquid is your desire as a church to make Jesus accessible to everyone, to make his name famous in New Jersey, right? Yeah, that's exciting, right, guys? I mean, that's, That is a great part about Liquid. And I don't know too many churches that are willing to push the envelope to reach their community like Liquid does. I mean, you guys, quite frankly, you're nuts in a good way again, right? I mean, you you don't just do a little Easter egg hunt for, for the kids in the church. You're like, hey, I got an idea. Let's get the most Easter eggs ever assembled in all of New Jersey so you can see a picture of them from a satellite from outer space. There was a while back, you did this several years ago, where the gas was really high, it was really expensive, and and, and someone liquid came up with the idea like, hey, why don't we just give people gas? Why? I don't know. Just let them know that we're here. We love them. Tell them about Jesus. You just want to give away gas. Yeah. And you saw News Channel 12 where people were coming up for gas. Like, I don't know. They just gave us gas. <laughs> I love it. You know, I'll check out that church. I, I mean, Liquid is, is always looking and asking themselves, how do we reach New Jersey with the love of Christ? And you know, my leadership style, this is what I do. I watch what Liquid does. And if it works, I take credit for it and do it on Long Island. <laughs> And if you do something and it completely bombs, right, it was just, that was horrible. I just don't do it. That is how I've been successful (laughs) in ministry for 13 years. Thank you, Tim and staff. And I can't wait to see what you guys do next. I really can't. But I want to tell you something. I I want you, I want to let you in on a little secret. The most important thing that this church can possibly do to accomplish the vision which you started in the very first place to reach New Jersey for Jesus is not going to be your next sermon series, your message series. Is that important? Absolutely. Very important. But That's not going to be it. Nor is it going to be the next outreach idea, the the, the next event that this church puts on. Is that going to be important? Yes, it absolutely is. But what's going to make the biggest difference at Liquid is only if you collectively as a church, for everyone that says, this is my home church, this is where I'm meant to serve, this is where I'm meant to be, if everyone in this church owns the idea of what you've been learning about for three weeks and saying, no, prayer is important, it matters, it is significant, it is the power of God that is being unleashed in the people, and you understand that collectively as a church, and you all say, no, this is my part to play, I need to take this on, I need to do what God has called us to do and be a person of prayer for this church. You know, Moses, as he was holding up, as he was holding up that staff and he was getting exhausted. One of the things that, that you see in the text that I love is that two of his his, his generals, two of his boys stepped up, right? Aaron on one side, her on the other, and they helped him hold up his hands when he no longer had the strength to do it himself. And I think a lot of times, especially as a church continues to grow, I find this at center point right now. As a church continues to grow, a lot of people kind of say, oh, you know what? Our, our leaders have this under control. They're going to do it. They're going to come up with the ideas. And I get to just sit back and take it in and enjoy. And we want you to enjoy a Sunday experience. We want you to come and have a great time of worship and solid teaching that challenges you. But i got to let you know. That what's the most important thing you can do as a part of Liquid Church is saying, I need to come along our pastors. I need to come along Tim and the rest of the staff. And, And even if it's from a distance in prayers, I need to help hold up their arms in prayer for this church. I'm not trying to guilt trip you here, but if you're not praying for your pastors on a regular basis, then you're letting them down because there's such a spiritual burden to this role. And the bigger the church gets, the more the enemy wants it to go down. You need to be praying for your leaders. You need to be coming alongside them. And the more this church is praying for its calling, for its vision for New Jersey, the more this church is going to see amazing things happen. I want you to see this in Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 19. The apostle Paul ran to the church of Ephesus. And he, he says something so significant here. He says, Consequently, saying, listen, the church isn't just about the apostles. It's not just about the prophets. In our context, it's not just about Tim, and it's not just about the campus pastors and the other leaders of the church, but it's about the entire congregation, the entire people of the local assembly saying, we are being built together. We are being woven together with this purpose of being the church where the spirit of God can move, where the power of God is going to be unleashed. You are important. This is your home church. You are important. And the most important thing that you can do for your church and for your land, for New Jersey, is to be a praying person at Liquid saying, no, I'm going to take this seriously because what God wants to do here is that big. To take it seriously and to own it. The second thing I want you to see is that prayer develops a dependency on God. Prayer develops a dependency on God. Moses and his troops had absolutely no chance at winning on their own. I mean, this was a million to one that they were going to win against the Amalekites. Because as I said earlier, they're now nomads. They were slaves. They have no formal training. They don't know how to fight. Their weaponry is horrible. They're going against, most likely, the Amalekite army would have had chariots, they would have had full armor, their weapons would have been far superior. The Amalekites were also a lot larger, they were a lot stronger. Everything possible was going against Israel. On their own strength, they should have been crushed within a short span of time. Yet we find in the story that they won the battle. And the only reason they won the battle was because they were fully dependent on God. They trusted that God was going to give them the strength to do what was impossible. And really, they had no other choice. It was either fight the Amalekites trusting in God or run away screaming. Those are the two options. Now, as people collectively, as you and I, we probably struggle greatly with the idea of being dependent on God. It doesn't come natural to us. I mean, for most of us, it's, it's something that, that we say, you know, I'm going to try to fight through this. I'm going to try to fix my marriage. I'm going to try to fix this problem at work. I'm going to try to get myself through school. I'm going to try to, to overcome these obstacles that are in my life based on my own intellect, my own wit, my own strength, my own stubbornness. That's where most of us normally are. And the idea of going to God and depending on God, for most of us, is also the afterthought. It's only when we've tried everything else that we finally say, all right, let me go to God, right? Have you been there? It's only when you've tried every other option in the flesh that you're kind of like, okay, I now need to humble myself and come to God. And that's one of the funny things about us, that the reality is that depending on God is something we need to learn. It's something we need to experience. We need to put into practice. And that's why two weeks ago, Tim had given you these prayer cards, Say, hey, listen, many of you out there have probably never really taken this step. Many have, but many haven't. Uh, many people, the, the idea of coming to God and saying, God, this is bigger than me. This is a challenge. This is, this is crazy. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna come before you because I know I can't defeat this. I can't overcome this. Uh, I can't get through this. I'm gonna write this idea and I'm gonna be faithful in prayer. I'm gonna keep lifting this before you because God, I need a full dependency on God. And the reason we've done this is so that you can start to learn how to depend on him. Because on our own, most of us aren't wired that way. And when you bring your requests to God, what you're doing, what you're saying is, God, I don't have control. I'm coming to that conclusion. I'm finally admitting it, God. I've probably always known it, but right now I'm being humble enough to say this out loud. God, I have no control. I can't control anything that's happening in life, but I know you do. And so, God, I need you. <laughs> I need you. A quick confession. I've always struggled with prayer. It's always been something that, that, that's always been an issue for me. I, I know that I'm a, I'm a pastor, and so some of you are like, hey, you're a paid Christian, right? That's what pastors are, right? You should be an expert in all these spiritual formation principles, but the one that's always been the most elusive for me has been that of prayer. I find it much easier to read my Bible, just to dive in, and I can digest pages at a time. I love going to worship. You can send me to an hour-and-a-half-long worship service, and I am engaged. I, I enjoy doing good deeds. I mean, it makes you feel good, right? You all enjoy doing good deeds. I even don't mind sharing my faith with strangers. You know, you put me in Starbucks, and within 15 minutes, someone in there is going to know about Jesus, those are things that come natural to me, but prayer, man, that's always been a challenge. I don't know if it's because I have ADD, right? I mean, just the thought of, of being in a prayer closet, that sounds like prison to me. I don't even know what a prayer closet is. They talked about it a lot when I was growing up in Sunday school. Go in your prayer closet. I'm like, I don't want to go in a closet. I've got a pace, you know, praying next to your bed and leaning down and quietly, silently. I, I can't do that. I mean, there's just no way. The reason I became a pastor was because I can't do what you're doing. I can't sit through sermons. I mean, I am bored out of my mind in five minutes. But I was convicted. I have to go to church. I'm a Christian. I'm like, might as well become a pastor. That was my calling. (laughs) And so prayer has always been something that was a struggle for me. And of course I would pray, but they would be short and they'd be quick. And I would move on very, very fast. And several years back, God started to really convict me about it. This lack of intentional prayer. Of that lack of letting God use it to, to have us in sync. And he started to challenge me to pray, to really be consistent, to get past my spiritual excuses. And so I, I went on this 40-day this journey of prayer with God. And by the way, quick side note, if you ever want to do something spiritual, just make it seven or 40 and you're good, right? That's just, it's biblical numbers. You can't go wrong. Never do anything in the sixes. That'll lead you down a wrong path. But sevens, Sevens and forties, you're set. And so I I went on that biblical number of 40 because if it was good enough for Jesus in the flood, it's good enough for me. And I I dove in. And here's the thing that through that 40 days, the thing that God had really shown me about prayer was this, that we don't pray for God's sake, we pray for our sake. We don't pray for God's sake, we pray for our sake. Now, what I mean by that is, is by being devoted to prayer, I started to truly depend on Jesus through the day for every little thing, not just in moments of need or in crisis. I started to trust him more. And I didn't tell him my needs because he didn't know, and that used to be a hang-up of mine. Like, God already knows this. Why do I have to tell him? You know, he's the Lord. Anyone know that? But I started to learn that as I continued to pray, I was telling him my needs so that I would know that he is God and that he is big and that he's got this under control And I want you to know, friends, that he is bigger than any need you might have. We learn to depend on him. The third and last thing I want to share with you here today is that prayer is truly powerful and effective. That prayer is truly powerful and effective. Now, I know this was, in essence, the message two weeks ago. I watched it. It was very good, very challenging. Tim did a great job. But I want you to also understand a little of my own experience in ministry and church and why I think this is so important for you at Liquid to also grasp as God continues to move you forward. When I started the church, I was 23. When I started the church, I was single. I had no money <laughs> and I had no education. Great way to start a church if you, you want to get out there and, and do this. Our oldest member of the church was a 26-year-old guy. We're like, that dude's got miles in his life, right? Like, if you have a prom, go to Eric. He's 26. Like, he's been there, man. He knows you. (laughs) And, And as we started the church... Um, we started meeting in that, my, my parents' house. Originally, there was four of us. And, and then a year later, we bumped up to about 25, and we're running out of room. And my parents, just, just to show how much like they were into this, they were so excited that I was actually serving Jesus now. Like, we will build an addition on the house. And so the, we built this addition in the back of our house as family. They weren't rich. I mean, this was like going into the retirement fund so that we could have a place to meet on a Sunday. And our church had nothing going for it. Just 25 single people. We had no money, we had no education. We had no experience. I hadn't started going to NIAC yet. There was nothing that we had except one thing. We knew that we were at a deficit. We knew that we were far, uh, um, uh, far from what it would normally take to start a church. We knew that there hadn't been a successful church planted in Long Island that we know of for 20 years prior, and all the churches that are there currently at this time, 13 years ago, were almost all on a decline except for a handful. A spiritual area uh, that that was completely bleak, and experienced church planters would even come to Long Island within two or three years, throw their hands up and say, there's just nothing that can happen here, we're gone. The only thing we had going for us was a little naivety, which is always good, (laughs) but a complete uh, understanding and belief that if God's people would get together and pray, if we truly just continue to cry out to God, if we we spent our weekends spending time in prayer, that when we were in Starbucks, we would spend time in prayer, when we were hanging out, we would spend time in prayer, that prayer was going to be powerful and effective because God wants to draw people to the light of Jesus Christ. And if we were just dedicated to prayer, that God was going to move I grew up in a very good church with very good theology. They knew their word inside and out, but prayer was something more that they talked about than what, than what they actually uh, practiced. And, and at that stage, I read a book by Jim Cymbala. Maybe you've heard of this book. It's been around for a long time now, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. He's the pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle. And, and at one point, this key pivotal point in his life and, and within this book, it's talking about Jesus. That moment when Jesus goes to the temple and there at the temple, you, you, you see that there's all the money changers, and they're taking advantage of the people that are coming to buy things to sacrifice, and they're inflating what it should be, and they're making all this money on, on people's sacrifice. And Jesus is there, and he gets ticked. And this is like, as a little boy, this is my favorite memory uh, of Jesus. Not memory, because I wasn't there, but I didn't do super book. only if you would get that and go back in time. But, but there's this moment, right, where Jesus gets so angry that he flips the tables and whip, and it's like Indiana Jones Jesus doing his deal. And he says something so important. Jesus says that as he looks out, he says, My house will be a house of prayer. You've made it into a den of thieves. My house will be a house of prayer. That the church, what is really called to do, that the greatest thing that we can accomplish as God's people is to realize that when we gather together, when we come together, that, that this is now a house of prayer. And we held on to that, we said, we know that nothing else is going our way. We have everything against us, but we really believed that God meant what he said in his word about the power and the authority of prayer to the people of God. And if we really cried out to him, that he would move through this bunch of delinquents who had nothing to do but go to the diner until 3 in the morning. And as such friends, i got to tell you, we saw God move. We didn't have a strategy. When I get to go speak at different places and I get to talk to church planting boot camps and talking to these other groups, and they're like, all right, so Pastor Brian, tell us the strategy that you brought to the table when you planted your church. I just look like a fool because I'm just like, I don't know. This is what we did. We prayed. <laughs> And there's a lot of strategy behind what we do now. There's a lot of planning, but I gotta tell you, the thing that got this church started off the ground and made it to where it is now, it's a church of over a thousand and it's growing, is this root idea that when the people of God come together and pray, the power of God is unleashed. Liquid, this is for you sitting in the seats, watching this online. Prayer can't stay theoretical. It must be practiced. It must be applied because New Jersey needs Christians that are willing to cry out to God, not only with their own requests and petitions, not only lifting up their leadership of their church, but praying for God to do incredible things in New Jersey to draw more more hearts to Him. This should be the norm for the life of a Christian, to be bold, to cry out, to say, Jesus, do what you've called to do within this body. I'm going to call the worship team to come on the stage. And as we've been talking about prayer, we're in our third week of prayer. It only feels right that we also take a moment to say, hey, if you need prayer, if you're here today and as I've been teaching, as we been going through the Bible, maybe you need prayer about prayer. You're like, man, I struggle with I need someone to pray for me. That's acceptable. <laughs> Maybe you're here today and you're like, I I just have these obstacles. I have one of these things on the board and I've written it down and I've been praying for it, but I need someone to now pray for me. Here's one of the beautiful things about the church. It's just as Moses was there and he was tired, he had Aaron, he had her, they held up his hands. That's what this opportunity is for you. And so if you need prayer, we're going to have our spiritual care teams up here in front of the screens. And and if, if they need to help you raise your arms and pray alongside you, let them. Don't be so proud as a, as, a, as a Christian, as a person, to say, I don't need other people's help. We all need people to be our errands, to be our hers, to help hold up our arms, and we feel so, so tired, so beaten, so weak to pray along with you, to intercede on behalf of you, and to cry out for you. Let me pray here for this church and for what God's doing at Liquid. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that, that Liquid Church exists to make your name famous. God, and I thank you for all the things that they are, are plotting and planning for the future and the things I'm sure that you've inspired, God, within the pastors and leaders of this church. But Lord, I just want to I just want to um, just ask you, Lord, for a true conviction and spirit for the people that call Liquid Church their home church. A true conviction and spirit to say, you know what, it's not enough to, to, to simply come to church, but I, I need to get involved. I need to serve, but... But even more than that, I need to pray. I need to pray. Because as all of these building blocks of everyone in this church are praying together, man, that is a place in which you dwell. That is when your power is being unleashed and moving. God, that's when you're going to continue to take Liquid Church to the next level, Father, of of showing um, this place in this time the love of Jesus Christ. And so, God, we lift New Jersey up to you. And we lift Liquid Church up to you. God, may they continue to be a light in the northeast where it can be so dark. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired
0: or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com